0: To the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove. I'm very pleased to be back in studio, and I'm joined by a man who's been selling Colleen Rooney's stories to the sun. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello.
1: Is that where I pull off my my mask to reveal that it was uh, Vardy the whole time, or am I pulling off Vardy's mask to reveal it was me the whole time?
0: I don't know. Okay. Either way, it's a good side business
1: we got going here. Thank you for remembering Jamie Vardy's wife's first name because (laughs) I forgot it briefly, and I did sort of imply that it was
0: Jamie Vardy. Colleen will never forget Jamie Vardy. Colleen Rooney's name. name
1: I will never forget yeah. after after this revelation.
0: Oh, if you don't know what we're talking about, we're not mm-hmm. gonna get into it, right? That's not really uh it's not really our area.
1: I want to do a four-hour show about you it, do? but I'm assuming that would be what the Cooligans are gonna do. I feel so, like, yeah, yeah,
0: the Cooligans have got this one. <laughs> yeah. I feel
1: like <laughs> we'll watch their show on Food this They're week. gonna break that thing down like this is a Pruder film. <laughs> the way we break down tactics, they're going to break down this series of events.
0: So with this emoji, what she's saying <laughs> is
1: it's funny because it feels
0: like a thing that could happen (laughs) today is a listener question special yes it is we have many many questions (laughs) i really do i'm excited (laughs) it's almost like we haven't done this in a while (laughs) right i'm excited to answer all of them before we get to all the listener questions there's a lot of u.s men's national team questions a lot of people have questions about bear health and and everything that's going on Um, Jill Ellis mm-hmm. is finally her reign is over. <laughs> her reign is over. Her reign is over. I mean, that's what the rest of the world will be celebrating. Yeah. Because um, after the, the final game against Korea, which ended one one, but it kind of didn't matter because mm. she ends her U.S. women's national that team record is insane coaching career with one hundred and six wins and a smaller number but more impressive two World Cups. Yeah 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 two
1: world cups and was it something of do you have the whole record right in front of you I don't it was something like 106 wins like 9 losses and 12 draws or just something that's like that's not a sign of a balanced uh, competition there were
0: celebrations in Germany Mm -hmm. in France (laughs) (laughs) in every other like uh, women's soccer powerhouse nation it was like at the end of Return of the Jedi everybody was like the Ewoks setting off fireworks yep (laughs) except (laughs) uh, maybe in the US I'm not sure oh no not in in the US we
1: set off like mournful fireworks to say goodbye to a, uh, a wonderful coach yeah. who as you said has we're like, won
0: we're like damn the death star was useful
1: <laughs> we're the baddies in this scenario I mean <laughs> oh well <laughs> um, but it was it was a, a nice gesture the
0: more you tighten your grip the more World Cups you seem to actually win
1: is that what the moral was? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't, don't put your hands out there because they always get cut off? That seems to happen a lot in the <laughs> no, Star Wars not. movies. All right. <laughs> um, but it was a, a very nice gesture that uh, there was like the fan boards where people could write their notes to Jill Ellis. Those were very yeah. well documented and very, very sweet. But it was it was just a, a nice reminder. Uh, this World Cup, I think like celebration series, uh, homecoming the series, tour. the victory tour, was homecoming. more... Yeah, yeah, it's all the I same. I mean, they
0: were kind of parades.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, it meant more to me this time. One, because I feel like I, I cared more about this team. I, I think I've talked about that previously, but also because it's Joe Ellis saying goodbye, yeah. so it had a bit more significance to I'll
0: it. I'll be honest, I struggle to get excited about the victory tour because oh, it's I don't... really like a thing in the player CBA to to cash in and make some money after winning the World Cup. Yeah, right? it... They deserve the money, but I'm not interested in those games. No, that's, just Those yeah, games are not doing anything fair. for the future. That's
1: what I mean. It's like It wasn't a like I was watching it for tactics and to see the nuances yeah. of the games. It was like watching The Office for the 15th time in a row. It's just <laughs> sort of like, yeah, this is just kind of nice. It's just nice yeah. to see the U.S. women. Coached by Jill Ellis.
0: But now that Jill Ellis has victoriously stepped down, mm-hmm. we can start to look towards the future. We mm-hmm. know Kate Marraff has been installed as the general manager. Mm-hmm. The coaching search is afoot. Um, there was some news, what, over a week ago now, mm-hmm. that there was an approach made for the Arsenal coach, Joe Montamoro, mm-hmm. um, who's an Australian guy who's been coaching the Arsenal team um, in the Women's Super League over in England. And Joe Montamoro was interested. Mm-hmm. Arsenal said he just signed a new contract you can't talk to him right
1: we should add it wasn't as though US soccer reached out to say we definitely want to hire him it was more of a we're Can we looking, have a conversation we're looking at yeah. candidates we want to talk to him and Arsenal basically said no you nope. may not talk he to him he
0: just signed a new contract mm-hmm. we've got if you, if you look at the Arsenal team there's uh, Miedema we mm-hmm. were really excited about during the World Cup the striker Daniel van der Donk Kim Little Jordan Noobs Beth Mead they are they just won the league mm-hmm. last year I think they're joint top this year after three games in Arsenal are very serious mm-hmm. and part of being very serious is we don't let our don't let our coach go and work for the US Women's National Team.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Which but this is kind of representative of the issue that Kate Margraf is going to have to deal with, of you've got various leagues competing at various times, various national team managers committed to gigs, medium-term, long-term, so trying to find the best possible hire is that much more challenging. To be honest, it's, it's... like it's more challenging than I guess I thought it would be because yeah. to me it was like the U.S. You women's... you think
0: like, everybody would want to work on the exa- Death Star?
1: Exactly. Ex- yes, exactly. Or <laughs> be in charge of the Death Star. Like, yeah. And that's kind of what <laughs> I thought. But it, and, and I thought about it more of a, like, because they're so head and shoulders above that more people would want to work. But in reality, there's so much less money involved in the women's game that I think those people who could sort of t- turn heads to get that gig already are kind of tied down by lucrative contracts, yeah. and so it does make that search, I think, that much harder.
0: One thing that just knowing that the U.S. was interested in Joe Montemoro, mm-hmm. it's kind of, in my head, opened up the whole thing, yep. right? Because we were, when everybody was talking about potential candidates, we were only talking about NWSL coaches, mm-hmm. right? And honestly, in my head, I had um, unconsciously assumed American woman, mm-hmm. right? Not Australian man working in England, like, it really makes me think that this, this coach could come from anywhere.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the American woman aspect is that there are a few of
0: them. Stay away from S- me. <laughs> Isn't
1: that a song? That is not a great song to sing when you're talking about the coaching search. I guess not. Um, so, Arsenal says. Yeah, that was. I like that you're just now riffing on anything that triggered. You're Robin Williams, is what you're doing. Anything that remotely connects, you're just going to start doing.
0: And I think he would sound a little bit oh, like God. this,
1: yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs>
0: I'm just excited to be back in studio. There we go. That makes sense.
1: <laughs> um, no, but I think there was uh, only one candidate who pulled herself uh, out of contention, or like one shortlisted candidate, theoretically. So it's also representative of the issue of not having as many uh, women's coaches involved in the game, which is something Meg Hannah and yeah. I talked about when she was last on the show, and hopefully we'll have her on the show very soon. You sure
0: did. Yeah, Meg was good when she was mm-hmm. on the show. Who was it that ruled themselves out? Uh, I forget. Ah, that's why you didn't Laura say that. Laura
1: Harvey, maybe? Okay. Was that a coach?
0: Could be. That is a coach. Yes. Um, all, right. all right. you ready to answer yes. some uh, listener mm-hmm. questions? Now that I've exposed your yeah. the gap in your memory, that works. <laughs> Hopefully, you remember lots of other things. Um, well, she ruled herself out. Why should I? I'm not
1: thinking about her anymore. I'm moving on to the, <laughs> the possibilities. I also think I called. Uh, uh, I think I said Paul Carr instead of Paul Riley yes, in that interview, so there you go. Yeah, Meg
0: politely didn't correct you, and you corrected yourself. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I, like, I enjoyed Meg's faith in you to catch your own mistake. <laughs> um, all right, today's first question yeah. comes from Jay Meadows. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about the U.S. men's national team. Um, Jay says, with the fairly low cost and the location for the CONCACAF Nations League games in D.C. this Friday against Cuba and Orlando uh, next month against Canada— are we seeing a change in U.S. soccer's idea of where we should be playing games? Because mm-hmm. these games are both in um, soccer-specific stadiums. These are MLS stadiums, right? Um, when there are NFL-side stadiums nearby. Also, the cost of admission is lower. I checked tickets for the Cuba game. Yeah. $26, right? Um, or is this something that is being forced by CONCACAF?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I doubt it's being forced by CONCACAF because I don't think... No, yeah, you
0: can choose your venue in your federation.
1: What do you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah so I'm saying I doubt CONCACAF was saying like, you have to do it here or there. I think it's probably representative of where the U.S. Men's National Team is right now, also where some of their opponents are, but I do think it's, it's an element... At least a significant element of it is like fiscal in that uh, to rent an NFL stadium requires more security. It's a bigger space. You have to deal with bigger vendors or more vendors. And so I think if you're doing a smaller field like Audi Field, it's cheaper because it's not this massive stadium that also has like NFL teams playing there. Yeah. And it's also going to be a little bit smaller, so a little bit more cost effective for the federation.
0: I have a different take. What you got? Because I went back and looked at World Cup qualifying. Mm -hmm. When we got to the hex, when the games are serious and points are on the line Mm – Every game was at a smaller MLS stadium. Right, It was like at Mapfre, the Columbus stadium, obviously, um, or it was in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what I think US soccer does. I think for friendlies... Friendlies, um, as Jürgen Klinsmann noted in that interview with Hercules Gomez that we'll talk about later, Mm -hmm. friendlies are all about revenue for the United States, right? So that's why they're in these massive stadiums and ticket prices are really high. They're just about trying to make as much money as possible. I think when points are on the line, I do think maybe the coach has some input and the federation takes the game more seriously. And it's more important to have like a full stadium of 20-something thousand uh, and then hopefully US fans, whereas that's not so important when we're doing the cash grab friendlies. So I think it's like the, the venues are more about creating a good atmosphere for the game.
1: I like that we have the Victory Tour and cash grab friendlies. That's a weird yeah. way that they chose to brand it, but they did, and you know, <laughs> I guess all credit.
0: What did you think of my theory? I think that probably makes sense. Yeah, and it, it is backed up by the World Cup qualification games being at MLS stadiums.
1: This is representative of where I am in terms of like my belief in soccer hierarchy at the moment. It still requires me to believe that U.S. soccer did something for the benefit of the fans and the team, mm-hmm. and I have a little, like, I have an instant reaction to that, which is why when you said I was in, like, "No, come on, they just want to make money," but you're probably right that it's also not great optics metrics, what have you, for even, like, an 18,000-seat stadium to be, yeah. like, only two-thirds full, that's yeah. still not very great. So lowering the prices to get more people in, to get a better atmosphere, yep. to get a better marketable product probably all makes sense. And
0: then the other thing is sometimes you plan an NFL stadium, you get that weird, like, overlaid grass mm-hmm. that, like, isn't a very good surface and doesn't isn't conducive to a good game. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're taking these, you know, uh, proper FIFA competitions, like the CONCACAF Nations Eagle World Cup qualifying, if you're taking those seriously – you're better off on a proper grass field rather than a a cobbled-together field where someone's ankle might get caught under a divot. I
1: mean, do you forget the beautiful field that was laid down at the Alamo Dome? Everyone's favorite field ever? I do not. That that was such (laughs) a garbage decision, garbage field but a decent result, so it yep. all counts.
0: You ready for the next question? Let's do it. Because we have a lot. We're going mm-hmm. to burn through these. Would you okay. like to ask it, or would you like me to ask? I'll you? ask you, because uh,
1: it's hard. Okay. Uh, Brian asks, how are we uh, definably better after one almost full year under the Burhalter tenure?
0: And there's definitely some skepticism in the way. I, I read this question with, the, like, how are we better? <laughs> you know what I'm
1: saying? <laughs> definably better. Yeah, at that. yeah, I
0: think it's like asking for, like, prove it.
1: Well, yes, but I... I, I will answer this, by the way. But I appreciate Brian's question, because it's a thing I struggle with is like to say how are we better allows you to say like well you know we figured out some things and there's movement here and this person can be a number 10 like whatever but you don't really get into the specificity of how things are improving, which, to be honest, yeah. is one of my frustrations with Greg Berhalter's. we haven't heard him talk about how they're demonstrably better, things that we can uh, like observe that show that we've developed. So yeah. I get where this question is coming from. Hopefully we have some answers. We'll yeah. find out. Well,
0: here's my answer. Mm-hmm. We do have a clear style of play mm-hmm. that we're working toward. Mm-hmm. We definitely weren't able to say that under the Sarakin era. Right. Right? It was just like, here's a bunch of players, good yeah. luck. We weren't even able to say that under the Klinsman era because there wasn't <laughs> no. really uh, a style of play beyond sort of try hard. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So I honestly think that even though we're not there yet, having a style of play that you can now say, this is the way the US men's national team plays, this is what we're working Mm -hmm. towards, I think that is definably better than not having that style of play. Mm -hmm. But then again, we've had this conversation before, it depends on your level of patience, right? I'm prepared to wait for this whole thing to click into into place by the time World Cup qualifying starts. And you do see signs of this possession game working, um, in fits and starts, right? And you can be frustrated that, like, we tried to play at the back against Mexico and, like, maybe that's not a good use of a game against Mexico when there's pride on the line and all that sort of stuff. But then you see the game against Uruguay and we were much better in possession and looked like a team that could really move the ball and, and make things happen. So I would say there are signs of progress. And then you've got the young players coming. I think we're definably better. This isn't even something Bear Halt has done, but just having guys like, uh, Pulisic and McKenney having a lot of international experience, and then hopefully we're going to add like, Seginho Dest and Tyler Adams and all that sort of stuff. I feel much better at the U.S. men's national team than I did a year or two ago.
1: I thought about those same things. My question then is, does it matter at all that those players were playing under Sarakin as well and under Klinsman before him?
0: Well, they weren't, right? I mean, Pulis- Pulisic Pulisic was, McKinney oh, yeah. was. McKenney wasn't playing under... Sarekin. Klinsman. He did play under Sarakin, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, no, it matters because it matters to me that they're in a style under Berhalter, mm-hmm. right? McKenny played under Sarrake it was always just, here's a bunch of players.
1: I, I, Here's Anthony Robinson, see what he can do. To clarify, there wasn't me debating, that was me genuinely asking, because that yeah. was the reason why I didn't put them on there is because I, di- I couldn't really say like, oh, we've established them as USMNT players yeah. because they kind of already had. But there's, I guess, to your point, a difference between like when they first appeared and when they became like established players yeah. for the team.
0: I mean, I could tell you now what McKenna's role is, right? Mm-hmm. It's to be the number eight in a three-man midfield and he's the guy that joins the attack but also uh, sits back a little alongside the holding midfielder. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I can tell you this is what McKenna's is. Kenny's job is for the U.S. men's national team
1: again. Not trying to debate, although this one is more of a question for you. But like, I, I struggled with this as well. Of like, but didn't we kind of assume that was always going to be his role, regardless of who the no, manager was? People like, have talked feel- about
0: him as a number six, or maybe you play holding, or the we you- didn't even know what shape we were going mm-hmm. to.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would like to see. Did him you just as- trump that one? You like people talking about as a number six when it was you specifically talking about him? As, no, as a No, but like, six? he,
0: he was like, could have been holding yeah, midfielder yeah. under Sarakin. for example, we know now this is what okay. Coach Greg Berhalter wants him to do. All
1: right, yeah. okay, that makes it that makes sense to me. I like that. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you on that one. Uh, I have a few other ones like that are, like for me, we have an established number one goalkeeper, which yes. is not a thing we, we have had since like Tim Howard was in his prime. Yep. Even Tim Howard, whilst him, still playing for the national team, after the, I forget, was it the adductor or abductor, either way, when he couldn't take goal kicks, and it yeah. felt like, mm, maybe we're past it a little bit, but is yeah. it Guzan? Is it somebody else? Is it Horvath? Now, I do feel like we have it's that established standard. goalkeeper, yeah. and I think a lot of that is the relationship with Berhalter in a positive way. I think that Berhalter has kind of believed in him, backed him encouraged him
0: to do new things and then obviously him maturing at Dusseldorf has yeah. helped um, I wish we had an established centre-back pairing it still yeah. seems a lot of like chopping and changing between Miazga, mm-hmm. Long Brooks when I mean, he's healthy the Brooks injury Walker aspects. Zimmerman and so on and yeah. so on Yeah, because I think we, we believe Reed.
1: we believe it's Brooks and then we think it's probably like a couple other people but Brooks not being there so regularly has made that difficult Yeah, I do think this is a positive and a negative, but I do think it helps us be better and makes us look better. That Berhalter has his group. It's like it's not necessarily a thing that then we're like, and so we are a better team. But I think it's clear to me that some members of the group, quote unquote, <laughs> like are embracing the roles that they've been given. To your point, there's a yeah. style, and so you look at the emergence of Tim Ream for the national team, of Jordan Morris, Reggie Cannon, Paul Arriola, Sebastian Laget, yeah. all players who I think are positioned to do bigger things for the U.S. national team under Berhalter than I think they would have done under another national team manager. I
0: think part of this, maybe one way definably, we're definably better is Berhalter is very specifically picking players that fit his system yeah. as opposed to just picking players and trying to jam them in there, mm-hmm. which, you know... Naming no names, but a certain German coach with <laughs> players yes. and yes. try and jam them in there. One thing I'd add is we now have a plethora of right backs. We do. Do you remember when we had a massive
1: shortage? Well, for now. We might have one fewer in a month or so. Right,
0: yeah. But we've got uh, yep. Yedlin, Reggie Cannon, Nick Lima, maybe Sergino Dest, like, maybe Tyler Adams, if you like him in, in that like, hybrid role. We suddenly have no shortage of right backs. It's, it's, it's like every The world- days of uh, missing Steve Girondolo are longer. Exactly. But yeah. like, there's there's these weird
1: like World Cup cycles aspects to positions that we had Sherento, then we didn't, and suddenly it was like we have no right backs and now we do. But then there was a period when we had no center backs, there was a period when we had no strikers, which is also now. Um like Josh Sargent is on the way. He is. But I will say that we like I think this makes us definably better is in knowing what we're definably not good at. Yeah. If, th- if that makes sense, like knowing what your vulnerabilities are makes you a stronger competitor because you know either how to deal with those vulnerabilities or what you need to work on to improve. Yep. And I think we know where our biggest areas of vulnerability are. I would say they're wide attackers. I would say there are strikers. Maybe it's like our like emerging number sixes could be included in there as well. Yeah. Maybe center backs, although I think that's more so due to injury, but we know vulnerabilities primarily in the attack and we know that we need to kind of look at other options continue to encourage other options and for berhalter i would imagine fluctuate a little bit in what you're trying to do to see if maybe this little tactical adjustment or nuance changes the effectiveness of our attacking shape
0: I think the other thing is you might be listening to this thinking, well, you guys are setting a very low bar for Mm -hmm. how we are definably better. Yeah. I would remind you that we failed to qualify for a World Cup and then spent Mm -hmm. a year kind of just blindly poking around in the wilderness. Yep. So the bar was already set very low for us to be definably better.
1: I'll say this. The height of the Saracan era, like the best game we play, like, oh, we drew France. That's really exciting. We drew Portugal. That's exciting. I would trade that in a heartbeat for, like, a bad game by the U.S. under Burhalter, because at least it's not a placeholder. It feels like, okay, we yeah. know this is our manager. We know what we're trying to do. If we believe that this person is going to take us to the next World Cup, then we have to see this as... Like development and change, and what's and like how are we learning more about this team rather yeah. than like okay, well let's just wait and see what happens. That's great, we tied this team, but does it really matter? Is this going to have any impact on what happens in the future? I don't know. That year was not fun.
0: So there we go. We are mm-hmm. definably better because it's no longer twenty eighteen. Yeah. Uh, many more questions to get to, mm-hmm. but first today's total soccer show is sponsored by Hims, mm-hmm. a new wellness brand from men.
1: That's right. With age is comes wisdom.
0: New? Yeah. I feel like we've read this ad quite a lot. I mean, new comparison to like Coca Cola. There we go. Uh,
1: with age comes wisdom, uh, and then you can answer questions like Daryl just posed to me with that. Uh, but getting older can also be a downer in one area specifically. 40% of men, uh, by age 40 struggle from not being able to get and maintain an erection. So not really a problem for the members of the current U.S. men's national team squad, statistically speaking, but once they hit 40, it very well could be.
0: Is that, why, is that why most soccer players retire? Yes, exactly.
1: They've got to focus on other aspects. To, That's what it yeah, is. Because it's by the out. age of 40. Yeah. So maybe as you need to get a little bit closer to that one, you fall off of your so, national team appearances.
0: So you don't have to turn to any sort of uh, weird solutions mm-hmm. like you would have maybe if you played for Milan in the early 2000s. <laughs> no expensive pills or injections where you definitely don't want um, injections. Yes. Instead, and I just check thank out him. Ryan and
1: I talked about that at length on the weekend review, and I don't really want to go back to injections in areas where I don't want there to be an injection, uh, uh, uh. instead as you said connects with real doctors uh, and FDA-approved pharmaceutical product, pharmaceutical products. Excuse me, to treat ED, you have prescription solutions backed by science, as opposed to snake oil and injections backed by nothing and pain, respectively. <laughs> and pain. Yeah,
0: the doctor's like the pain might help; it might motivate you. <laughs> That's not how it works. To that,
1: I to that I quote Brian Regan: "If the doctor says you're going to feel some pressure, buckle up." <laughs> <laughs>
0: So it's basically uh, telemedicine mm-hmm. for the initial sort of uh, consult. You don't have to go and wait in a waiting room and you know talk talk to a doctor about a really. There's embarrassing... no chance of not waiting. Talk That's the name room. of the room. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry Seinfeld. Yep. is that Seinfeld? Please? It is indeed. Um, um, and then you get the medication. You do. You get the medication, uh, which is the solution.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can try hymns today by starting out with a free online visit. Go to forhymns.com slash total soccer ED. That's F O R H I M S dot com slash total soccer ED. One more time, forhymns.com slash total soccer ED.
0: Prescription products are subject to doctor Mm -hmm. approval and require an online consultation um, with a physician who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. See the website for full details and safety information. This could cost hundreds of, I assume, dollars um, if you went in person to the doctor's office with the waiting room or to a pharmacy. Instead, go to 4hims.com slash total soccer ED.
1: All right, I'm going to try to do this in my best radio uh, ad read voice, and yeah. then we'll move on. All right, you ready? So 4hims.com slash total soccer ED. Prescription products are subject to doctor approval and require an online consultation with a physician who will determine if prescription is appropriate. See website for full details and safety information. This co- could cost hundreds <laughs> if you went to a doctor uh, in person. Ah, oh, I was headed, but I couldn't get it in, in the end. The, in the
0: TV ad, this is when there'd be lots of smiling yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. Very
1: and then you go back to the, remember, that's Forhymns.com slash TotalSoccerED. Thank you to HIMS for sponsoring today's episode. More
0: listener questions, Mr. Grove? Yeah, let's go to Richard Rawson's question. Mm-hmm. Richard says, I, was recently, I recently watched the Hercules Gomez interview with Jurgen Klinsmann. If you haven't seen this, it was on ESPN FC, right? Um, and was wondering, do you think that Klinsmann might have been a much better general manager or technical director than he was a coach? From what you know of his time with the U.S. Men's National Team, do you think he would have been better as a GM?
1: Um, I... I watched this interview, I then punched myself in the face, and they had the equal response, which it just made me angry. No, I don't think he would have made a better general manager.
0: Okay, why not?
1: Do I have to defend myself? I mean, okay, yeah. fine. Um, I think it, it's what you mentioned previously, that like he had been there, he had great ideas about like how we could play and what we need to do, but I don't feel like Jürgen Klinsman was ever particularly good at sticking with a concept or sticking with an yeah. idea, which is why our tactics inevitably became, try hard, run around, have fun, yeah. leave it to the players to organize. Like And, and so so I think he talks a big game. Michael
0: and Jermaine will sort out the tactics.
1: <sighs> I think he talks a big Where's game. You know I love? think that's I really always you know been love?
0: like, oh, gosh, I just
1: like uh, listening to that interview. He's saying the same stuff he said when he was like when he was applying for same the job. When he, he first, 2006. when he first got hired. Yeah, yeah. it's just it, that blew my mind. That, and, and even to the point where some of the some of the points in the interview when there's the question about youth development and he talked about how we've got players going to college and it's like, yes, some. But like, it's, yeah. it's a kind of not everybody now goes four years. No, and starts in MLS it's a rare. That yeah. like a, a college player ends up making a significant yeah. impact like down the road. So I like yes, and he they're allies first,
0: first identify things like Reggie Cannon, where yeah. he went for one year, which was yeah. actually good for his development, mm-hmm. right? Then the rest of the time is with the academy, is with Dallas. Yes, yeah.
1: So uh, like that's getting off on a bit of a Klinsman rant. Uh, to back to go back to the actual question. I don't think he would have been a good GM because from everything we've heard about him when he was in charge of the U.S. men's national team and also as technical director, it yeah, changed. Forget, he actually, After his yeah. second
0: contract, mm-hmm. he actually was... His job title included technical director. He just didn't do a lot of technical director.
1: Well, he didn't, but what he would do was say, hey, I want to change this, or we're going to try this, or we're going to do yoga today. And like it was just so, by everything we've read, everything we've heard, it was just so chaotic that we're going to try this today, but the next day we're doing something different. And more importantly, there was no explanation as to why suddenly we're doing something differently. It was just now we're trying something else. And when everything feels random and a little bit chaotic, it's really difficult to get any sense of consistency. Mm -hmm. And I think that's representative of what he would have been as a GM, of like, okay, we're going to stop. Playing like friendlies in NFL stadiums, but actually, you know, we're going to play them all in NFL stadiums, and oh, we're not going to do any in Europe, but actually, we're going to do all of them in Europe, and like, I just don't back him to have consistent ideas for reasons other than it's what I want to try today.
0: So. I actually think he would have been a better technical director than a coach, Mm -hmm. but that's just because I think he was a really bad coach. Um, So I don't think he would have been a good technical director. I don't think he was a good technical director. If you look at the things that actually changed while he was technical director, we did things like adding a U16 and U18 men's national team. But really, that comes from the youth technical director, Tab Ramos, mm-hmm. right? So Klinsman just took the technical director job title and didn't really do anything.
1: And, his mic- and, and, and even then, if you sorry to jump in, but like, I feel like those positions were frequently vacant under Jurgen Klinsman. Some of them remain vacant now, some yeah. of the youth national well, that's more coaches.
0: of a U.S. soccer problem. True. Right? But I'm just but saying, I'm just if like, your I'm- job is
1: a technical director, you should be like, aggravating the board until they appoint somebody. Yeah. You should be like, harassing them until something well, this happens. Is,
0: this is my big point, is what I think Klinsman's really, really good at, is identifying problems mm-hmm. right? Like one of his answers in the Captain Hindsight, yeah, yeah. One of his answers in the Hercules Gomez thing is like the thing holding the US and Mexico back is that they're in CONCACAF mm-hmm. and you're playing weaker opposition a lot. Yeah. Right? Brilliant. But we can appoint, we could appoint Klinsmann as technical director. He's not going to move us to UEFA. Mm-mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, so he's really good at saying here's a problem. He is proven not good at saying. And here's the solution. Well, like I've had a lot of jobs. When, when I worked for um, mm. the magazine Virginia Living, my editor, who was pretty good, would would always say like If you're going to come to me with a problem, also suggest a solution at the same time." Otherwise, you're just landing a problem on my so, desk. So
1: you know I would. I, I know what you're saying. The thing that like frustrated me more about that is that I think he did sort of propose a solution, but he said it very quickly, and in my mind, he said it only because it furthers his reputation of you, they need to be pushing themselves against top tier opposition in Europe. We need to go yeah. play more friendlies in Europe against stronger opposition, which is what he did. And there was that run when it was like what like there was like, it was like, like Denmark, Germany, it was like Denmark, yeah. Germany, uh, the Netherlands. There's one more in there, and it was like. I'll run of playing against your uh italy when josie altador scores against italy yeah. like but those games i think the reason why he says that is because that was the time when the team looked good
0: under him and yeah. so he can be like well see i did that and we were looking good and also all those big european nations fielded very weakened teams yeah. against the u.s and then also there's the fact that there's the uefa nations league now mm-hmm. there are far fewer right. um away dates against european opposition right? that... here's, here's the other thing he mentioned that maybe u.s soccer plays lots of home friendlies mm-hmm. uh, to make money Like we talked about earlier, right? Just, mm-hmm. It's just a revenue operation to f- try and get a bunch of people in a big stadium, have some expensive tickets, make money. Good luck trying to persuade US soccer not to do that. Yeah, right. There's not. He didn't actually propose a solution for. Here's how they could make up lost revenue and still then go and play friendlies in Europe. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm saying. There's a lot of identifying problems that we all know are problems. It's not a lot of here's the solution to that problem. But I find it even more
1: infuriating when he is who he is and was in the position he was in. There's the question posed to him about development and why we don't have players of a certain generation and younger players coming through, which was confusing to me because we do have younger players coming through. But whatever side issue.
0: Right. We're just we're waiting for those uh those those to turn into big trees.
1: But he answered that <laughs> true. But he answered that as though like he it's hadn't like Richie been,
0: Ledesma Saplings,
1: right? but like Klinsmann answered that question as though he hadn't been the director of the team. Like I'm, I'm sorry, like I know you're making jokes, but I'm genuinely frustrated by this. That like he, that answer was like, well, we should be doing this and they should be doing that. It's like you had a chance, you did not do that. Yeah, yeah. So to now act like well, it was so simple. It's like that. Well, you weren't when you were in charge of this. Those players did not come through. You bear responsibility for this. You can't now say well, you know, we could have done better and they should be doing this. And I don't know. Yeah. But, and, and to be honest, if he had even said like we could have done better, that would be a different thing. But there was no concession in that interview. Similar to Bruce Arena, there was no, yeah, I got this wrong. I could have done better. I could have learned from this mistake. I didn't do this. It's all, I was right. I wasn't in charge. This wasn't my fault. And it's just defending as opposed to helping.
0: Here's what I would say, though. If we could roll back the clock Mm -hmm. to 2011, when Bob Bradley was let go and Klinsman was hired, um, we would have been better off, I think, if Klinsman had been hired in a more technical director or general manager kind of way and just had that job with an actual coach who you know, knew about tactics and that kind of stuff working under him. I think it's impossible now because his reputation is a little bit shot, right, in America. Like, he wouldn't be welcome back. But I think at the time, if we'd hired him as a, a more overseeing type position and less uh, picking the team, selecting the tactics kind of position it would have worked out better than it did in the last few years.
1: Um, this is maybe my bias because I, I, I find my frustration with Coach Klinsman is so great. that I'm trying to
0: separate the two and just say if we didn't have to deal with that, we could have just had the, the guy making big pronouncements and somebody else maybe fixing the problem. Yeah, I get that.
1: But I'm saying I literally I don't think I can make that distinction. I think for me it's like, no, I know what he was as a coach. And so for me to expect him to be completely different as a technical director, I, I don't think that's realistic. Like, Why would he be inept at one thing but super good at another?
0: well at least we would have had like essentially would have had someone at the top complaining for change mm-hmm. even if he's not actually able to enact it and at least we would have had a proper coach but, so coaching we, the but team.
1: then he was able to enact change because we've heard the stories about how the reason why the playoffs were longer is because he wanted a longer season so they made them home and away and they yeah. stretched out the season but to imagine accommodate if he could that dedicate desire.
0: his full-time job to just pushing for various bits of change mm-hmm. during that period it might have been more successful than it was
1: it might have been but I go back to my original point which is that but he was so mercurial in his decision-making that it also might have been we're going to change to this format and and then the next yeah, week, he's like, maybe. "Never mind, that didn't All right, work."
0: But I'm just saying, I think if we could go back, yeah, he would have been better off taking that job instead of a coaching job. We yeah, would have been better. I off think that's
1: probably true. Unless he brought Yogi happened. Love with him. To your earlier point, yeah, yeah, <laughs> maybe Yogi
0: Love as the US national team coach yeah. would have won the 2014 World Cup. That works. All right, ready for the next question? Yeah, let's do it. Eric Rosner, Eric Rosner asks, Oh just mentioned Bob Bradley. Mm-hmm. Eric asks, does Bob Bradley's dominance of Major League Soccer after his perceived failure in the Premier League tarnish how the English and Europeans view the strength of MLS?
1: My honest answer to this question is, uh, I think you have something similar, but uh, I wrote it first, so I'm going to go with it. Uh, I doubt anyone is really paying attention, is my yep. answer to that. That I doubt any pundits or like, really people of substance in England or European yep. soccer are paying attention and seeing what Bob Bradley's done, but then thinking, oh, but he didn't do very well at Swansea, so that's not yep. that big of a deal.
0: Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher, no. when they're on Sky Sports, they don't know that uh, LAFC just won the supporters' no. shield. They d- probably don't know that Bob Bradley coaches LAFC they might not even
1: remember that Bob Bradley coached Swansea like, like, and, and I don't even no, mean that I as a joke I think they would
0: because they would know everything about the Premier League but what I'm saying is they have no concept mm-hmm. of what's happening over here
1: I, okay then let me rephrase it I can picture them being like is that the fellow who used to manage Swansea right yeah, yeah, yeah oh, and like national team coach at <laughs> yeah. some point yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like that's uh, but like so I think that's a side issue because for me the other thing is that like there are already preconceived ideas about Americans as both players and coaches yeah. I think there are certain people Jesse you just, Marsh you just
0: didn't manage to change those preconceived ideas
1: right? yeah right yeah. But, and so I think that like those already exist so him having success here is still going to be like that's great but he still didn't have success there so it doesn't really make him more of an attractive candidate I think anywhere else
0: and also I'm not big into this idea of just comparing how someone did in one league Mm -hmm. versus another league and therefore that means this league is rubbish I think Mm -hmm. of it more as a um especially Bob Bradley, I think of him as a coach who is constantly evolving and learning new things. And I think, honestly, part of the reason he's been so successful at LAFC is his brief experience with Swansea. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, a few more strings to his bow, more experience. Maybe he learned a few things. Maybe he picked up this and that. Do you know what I mean? Like, Bob Bradley is constantly improving as a coach. So LAFC just got the latest and greatest version of Bob Bradley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So I'm just saying it's all part of a continuum of Bob Bradley's improvement. Okay. So he's but, a different coach now than he was at Swansea.
1: Yeah. But I mean, to the question itself, like, does that perceive how they view the strength of Major League Soccer? I think the answer is like, who cares to me? Because English yeah. pundits are never going to look at MLS and be like, that's the league. That's what we got to be drawing from. Yep. So trying to change their opinions, I'm not really that concerned about it. Same. Mm-hmm. Same, same, same. Next question. All right. Neil Schuett asks My kids are six and nine, and they are starting to really enjoy soccer. What skills or knowledge do you think is most important for me to emphasize with them at this level?
0: To keep enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah?
1: Number one, keep I have that it. soccer is fun.
0: Don't make, don't turn it into a chore by yeah. making them do a bunch of stuff. Let them keep enjoying it. Yeah. Make yeah. it fun.
1: Our friend who's, whose son plays at a very high level, I once asked him because his son, at a very young age, all he wanted to do was play soccer. And I kind of assumed, oh, that must be the parent doing something. And, and the parents just said, like, nope like he just wants to do it every day that's his favorite thing yeah. and I think if you encourage that uh, I was reading Johann Cruyff's book and he was talking about how like that was the only oh, thing to do But my it was, turn. Great which title. somehow it took me forever to realize the connection in the title like I was just like oh it's his turn to write a book it took me a moment <laughs> to be like oh right 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 that whole historic famous move um, but he talked about how like that was the only thing they did because it was the only thing to do but it also became like the most fun thing because you've like, yeah. like you use a street curb as like a part of the field and how do you adapt to the street curb like yeah. but it made it really fun for them and so I'm totally with you that the idea of it being a fun thing, as opposed to like, go run some drills, go do this. Hey, you have to play for this team. You have to do this. Suddenly, the fun aspect of it is uh, slightly reduced.
0: Okay, so what if uh, Neil's kids, mm-hmm. who, again, a 6 and 9, come to him and say, hey, Dad, can you show me something to improve my game? Yeah. What's a couple of things you would have Neil show them?
1: All right, so first of all, like, genuine response to that is like, they're not going to do that. Okay. And I don't mean this... All right, but, but no, hypothetically. No, 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 but like, I, this is an important thing, is that kids are kids they do not have an understanding of adult things so passing for an example is a foreign concept to a six-year-old like a six-year-old or a four-year-old playing soccer is just going to want to dribble because there's a ball in front of them they want to dribble and score a goal and so they're never going to say like hey how do i pass better it is incumbent upon the parent to make that stuff fun so the kids learn how to do it so no it's a great question but it's the thing that like if you if you want the kid to be like how do i do scissors you gotta show them the scissors. Like you can't be yeah. like, here's a move, they don't know what it is. If they don't know a thing exists, they're not gonna ask about that thing.
0: So in my head it was mm-hmm. I think moves are fun. Yeah. So I thought maybe showing them some dribbling moves oh, yeah. would be the fun way to do it. Like right. teach them something relatively easy, like a step over, mm-hmm. maybe a crypto. Yeah. Maybe a soul roll. Like right. things that actually just put your foot on top of the ball and roll it and like that's kind of a fun move that they might enjoy the next time they go out and play they could show that off
1: right and that, th- but that's it, you're making it fun that's yeah. what i'm saying is like but like if you're expecting your kid like i do think there are p- parents who will be like oh well like when he wants to know how to do that he will do it but if you are saying like here's a f- isn't this cool isn't this a cool thing like my nephews want to see what the cool thing is yeah. so if you show them how to do a move that's cool they're like oh that's awesome and i think with that if you want to teach them usable skills if you make it into a game that's fun but then also maybe quietly teaching them things that's the yeah way way to do it. So for passing and receiving, I would say... Like you have them play keep away, where it's like, if, say you've got the six-year-old and a nine-year-old. They've got to pass around you. You, the adult, maybe play a little bit harder of defense when they will only dribble. But when they pass the ball, suddenly you're incompetent at defending. So you're trick these kids, yeah. And it, but it teaches them into like, oh, if I pass the ball, the defense doesn't know what to do. If I dribble a whole bunch, then I lose the ball, and now I have to chase my parents. So you not, down.
0: like explicitly teaching them that lesson, no. but it's just there. But you just negative fun, man. Yeah. It, yeah.
1: And then my my other one, I would say, sorry, do you have more about skills? Mm. I hijack that one. I would say the other one is like. It's a thing that is a popular point of contention about, like, caring about results and participation trophies. But people who get really mad about participation trophies, in my mind, miss the point of the argument, which is that the point of playing soccer as a six-year-old or nine-year-old as a young kid is development, both in terms of the game but in terms of social, like you're teaching them to play as a team and communicate with other people. But you're also trying to help them develop. If you want them to be a good soccer player, caring about did they score a hat trick in their U6 game is way less important to, like – Hey, you took a corner kick. Hey, you took a goal kick. Hey, you passed the ball. Like Encouraging the development of those individual skills, way more important than whether or not they scored three goals in their U10 Rec League game.
0: Yeah. It's also fun scoring a hat-trick.
1: Also fun scoring a hat-trick. That is true. But if you score a hat-trick by a good combination pass, it genuinely does just feel better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is true. This is Mm -hmm. true. All right. More questions? Yeah. But first, Ye. today's show is sponsored by Talisman mm-hmm. Caps, our friends from Minnesota.
1: That's right. Can you remember
0: which Minnesota city they're in, Taylor?
1: Uh, they are in St. Paul, Minnesota. Yes, yep. correct. Mm-hmm. Not Minneapolis. Yes, we, <laughs>
0: yes. But they can get to Minneapolis easily.
1: I, I would say so. Yes, yes. Uh, they are makers of high-end, quality-made caps and gear. Talk about the gear in a moment. Yep. The hats. Uh, I was cleaning out my closet last night. I have many of them. I wear lots of them. Uh, but they At the were same like, time? No, "What?" Yes, once I wore two. I think. <laughs> I think it's a joke. I forget why. I think I wore the Kooligan's hat twice to say that I'd worn it twice. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but like I wear them so often that I have to have a number of them because I end up like leaving them in one location in my house, and then yeah. I need another one, but now I don't want to walk all the way upstairs. Luckily, I have another one. But I've also enjoyed the spread of talisman gear uh, into like, like the world that isn't just hats because they yes. have different accessories. And I was watching Extra Time this week uh, as they were doing their decision day. Uh, sort of coverage and Jimmy Conrad was in there. Andrew Weeby was hosting as he is wont to do, and in front of Andrew Weeby was the the uh, the camping coffee mug that you and I were both admiring. Oh, really? Yeah, I messaged him about it because I was like, "Ooh, I want that mug." He's got it. I'm oh, jealous. So he already got one. Mm-hmm. Oh, Weeby, it's like a little teal. It's got support local yeah. on it. It's a solid mug. So this
0: is if you go to talismancaps.com, mm-hmm. there's obviously a few menus you can click through. There's an accessories page, yeah. and there is the uh, the campfire uh, the campfire mug which I really like. Mm-hmm. I like that support local logo. Yep. The Dustin designed, but I also. I don't know. There's something that it just looks really good on that that campfire mug. Yeah, I don't know why.
1: I think it just does. It's the it's not tin, but it's like the ceramicness of yeah. the mug. It's it's I, it's what I drank out of when I was a little kid and we went camping. And it's like <laughs> yeah. I want that, but I want it for everyday use.
0: Speaking of drinking, mm-hmm. there is also the Novino No Party Stemless <laughs> Wine Glass with um, a gentleman that looks a lot like Andrea Perlo in a Juventus jersey, <laughs> holding a glass of wine, but it's and not a for copyright reasons, <laughs> while striking a free kick. <laughs> You've also got some coasters. Uh, You've got um, uh, the Woodchuck USA Support Local 94 phone case. (laughs) There's a flask. There's I don't even
1: know what to make of those words that you just said.
0: Well, it's got the USA 94 uh, logo from the World Cup, but it also says Support Local. Okay. So it's combined two of their designs.
1: But uh, as a phone case.
0: Shall I just just show you? (laughs) Yes. Ah, okay. Now I see
1: doing? what we're working with here. Now I see what doing? we're working with here. Yeah. Um, so
0: all kinds of accessories mm-hmm. are great for the holidays coming up. Oh yeah. Great little uh, great little gifts for soccer fan friends.
1: It is because if you have a friend who's already like like got a bunch of jerseys or something like that, there are so many different options that are both, like, handmade and curated and interesting and you're not just getting... Yeah. Like, a, like a I don't know, I'll get him a Man United jersey or a Chelsea jersey. Yeah. It's It's something different. Or her, I should add, uh, because
0: they do have options uh, that represent the women's national team as well. There's also mm-hmm. the uh, vintage yeah. collection where you can get... Uh, for example, if you ever wanted a 94-95 Kaiserslautern jersey... Of course. ...you can find one at talismancaps.com. Who hasn't? So this is like... um Vintage stores that have become mm-hmm. quite famous where people will really go looking for the good stuff. Yep. Then they'll fill their store with like vintage apparel. It's essentially an online version of that. And I know Dustin and Bethany, who run Talisman, really have, they obviously have an eye for design because mm-hmm. they managed to design all these incredible caps that are really getting people's attention. They really have an eye for a classic vintage Mm -hmm. jersey. Yeah, man. Yeah, so you can... There's all kinds of really, like, cool jerseys. Some really obscure ones, like the Ireland 92, 93 one with the three-stripe Adidas on the shoulder. And if you remember that, but yeah. So, I don't know. You could click through the page and find all kinds of incredible vintage things. I told you my favorite one I saw earlier, right? mm Mm-mm. MLS 1996 inaugural game t-shirt. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, so San Jose versus DC, they just handed out some commemorative yeah. t-shirts. Probably at the time that didn't feel so special, but 20 odd years later, that's kind of a cool vintage thing, right? Indeed. Yeah.
1: Uh, so if you want to get that or any of the other products we've discussed, you can get 10% off with a minimum purchase of $35 by using the code TOTALSOCCER10. TOTALSOCCER10 all to get 10% off at talismancaps.com.
0: Thank you to Talisman for Mm -hmm. sponsoring today's show. We love working with cool brands like Talisman.
1: We do indeed. Uh, Next question, Daryl, I will ask to you. Uh, John Martin asks, why don't players who start on the bench have their uniform on already? I don't know. Really?
0: Is the answer to this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly, so you've never been benched? I've never been Yeah, I refuse. I walk out every time I'm benched. <laughs> I honestly don't know. Like, it, may, it would make sense to me to be fully dressed and ready to go because maybe there's an injury and like, hey, we need you to get in right now. Mm-hmm. Like, why have the extra minute or two where you have to, like, put your shin guards on, put your jersey on, all that kind of stuff. You hinted earlier that you kind of knew the answer to this. I, I mean, I'm honestly lost for ideas of why you're not just ready to go.
1: I don't know the answer. I know okay. why I do it, because okay. I do this as well. Uh, and I have, two, I have two possible explanations. The first is what I do. It's just that, like like when you change your clothes, it's like a change of status, and so for me, when I warm up, I will usually warm up without shin guards and without my jersey on, and then once it's about time for the game, shin guards go on, jersey goes on, and I feel like okay, now I'm like ready to compete now is the time okay and maybe it's a, it's like a reflection of how professional teams warm up in their warm up jersey and then they change into their game jersey, and it's that feeling of like now I'm changing into my like Thing that signifies we're about to actually compete. Okay, so, so it's th- like a
0: mental psychological element. Yeah, to it. yeah,
1: I think there's that, and so and it's also a little bit comfort that like wearing your shin guards the whole game is not that comfortable. Are oh, you sitting we- getting sweaty yeah, shoes? Yeah, wearing like wearing your jersey like like I don't know maybe it's sweaty from warm up or something. So you wear like a, you know a, a lighter weight shirt until it's time okay. to get ready. So
0: it's a bit of freshness as well.
1: And then there's an element of full kit wankerdom. I think is the other one that like if you're sitting there on the sidelines the entire game like shin guards on, socks pulled up, yeah. jersey tucked in, ready to go and then you do not play like imagine that player in the post match when they're high fiving I guess you could but if it's hot no (laughs) Like so I think there's an element of just sitting there the whole game looking like you're ready to go when you're just sitting on the bench and everyone else is having casual conversations
0: FKW is harsh because you are actually a professional player who Mm -hmm. might play in this game you're not just some dude at the pub exactly I know, I know. But do you think it still looks that way? Yeah,
1: a little bit. But I mean, I should also <laughs> add that, like, I am the one I get made fun of a lot because I shower before games and then also after games because yeah. I like to feel like woke yeah, up do, and ready. So, yeah,
0: like, I mean, I do it every morning just to feel fresh. It blows and my
1: mind how people can just show up like having just woken up to play soccer. Like, yeah. I need that feeling of like, okay, I am now like in game mode. I am yeah. focused up. I'm ready to go.
0: If a player shows up and there's yellow in the corner of their eyeballs. Benjam.
1: Yes, exactly. I woke up, we, had, we had a game this, uh, this Sunday, the game, uh, like the, in the morning where our goalkeeper, you can guess who it is, yeah. showed up and he like had one patch of his hair just completely sticking out. And I was yeah, like, yeah. so did you wake up, uh, what, like 10 minutes ago? He was like, <laughs> like eight. I was like, cool, cool, good stuff. We're going to have a great game. You're going to be ready to go, I'm sure.
0: He's still a very good goalkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> 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 when he's fully awake yeah there you go he's a very good goalkeeper yeah alright next question you ready sure uh, Billy Hite mm-hmm. Billy Hite oh wants to talk about the Liverpool versus Red Bull Salzburg Champions League game where what uh, Liverpool went 3 nil up Salzburg under American coach Jesse Marsh pulled it back to 3-3 Salah scored late it mm-hmm. finished 4-3 to Liverpool Billy wants to know was that good tactics by Marsh or an off night by Liverpool or is it that things can be two things
1: um, I guess if I had to answer for those options, I would say things can be two things. But I'm also inclined to say like kind of neither. Like yeah. I think it was bad tactics by Marsh that he then corrected, and yes. then I think it was Liverpool playing their game well. But then Salzburg adjusted to exploit vulnerabilities in what Liverpool do. Yes, and then I think Liverpool adjusted back.
0: Okay, so I agree with you that it was bad tactics by Marsh that he then adjusted. Mm-hmm. Not least because if you look at how the scoring went, Liverpool. Yeah. Was, sorry, yeah, uh, Liverpool were three nil up. Yeah, Red Bull Salzburg were three nil down. After 36 minutes, Mm -hmm. Jesse Marsh got this wrong to begin with and then fixed it in a big way that was able to uh, create the 3-3 comeback. But then essentially, I think all the effort that went into the comeback, they were tired and sloppy. And if you look at the winning goal, there's like a couple of sloppy clearances. Um, and then number 14, whose name is very tough to pronounce, tried to <laughs> dribble at the top of his own box, got tackled, yeah. Liverpool punished them, right? So should we get into the specifics of what Marsh got wrong and how he fixed it?
1: We should. I'm not laughing at you for not being able to pronounce the player's name. I did find myself looking at this Red Bulls team and being like, are they designed for me to be like, like have difficulty understanding it's the like names? A right? it, it really is. Like, these
0: players will probably be very famous in the future because yep. that's really what's going on with mm-hmm. Red Bull right they have these players at Salzburg they'll maybe eventually go to Leipzig yeah, they'll become big names we're going to find the hardest to pronounce collection of names in the entire world that's the criteria are you young are you talented mm-hmm. uh, can you like, run fast and press hard is your name really hard to pronounce <laughs> and in the case of number 14 mm-hmm. Jabez I believe that is the case.
1: <laughs> well I, done, sir. I wrote
0: it down, so I wanted to at least have a go at it.
1: Well done. Um, yeah, I appreciate that you did so it. What,
0: what did Jesse Marsh get wrong? Why were, why were Liverpool three nil up after thirty six years?
1: So he uh, much much the way you had to go. Uh, Jesse Marsh had to go with a four two, 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 two. One yep. day I'll get the twos right. Uh, four four two defensively, but the idea was like being compact, uh, like not necessarily focusing on possession, but trying to play direct, trying to counter counter Liverpool, trying to press. Right, they were yeah. doing the
0: classic Red Bull press, high yep. go after them. Mm-hmm. Win the ball back, then transition quickly.
1: Yeah, yeah. but uh, the problem there is that when you're playing in that four four two, like in order to not get overwhelmed, if you're going to press, you've kind of got to like have more numbers in the middle, and so you don't yeah. have as much presence out wide, which is where Liverpool like to attack via Robertson and Alexander Arnold, and that's exactly what they did uh, early and often yeah. in Robertson the first scored. thirty to forty minutes of this game. Right? Exactly, yeah. yeah, the
0: freedom like unmarked to just come into the box. I think mm-hmm. that's a problem with the four two two two. Yeah, right? there's there's no width like mm-hmm. in your midfield or your forwards, so the fullbacks can get kind of over-
1: Right. And then I think the other issue uh, was that when Red Bull would try to play, excuse me, Salzburg would try to play. It's easier because there's too many Red Bull teams yeah. now. Because of where their players were in their defensive shape, it didn't then smoothly allow them to transition into a counterattack because they were yeah. trying to play very vertical, very direct. But if you've got sort of two, 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 like you can play in a straight line, but you don't have a lot of variability. Yeah. And I think the adjustment he makes is going to a four-one-three-two sort yeah. of, um, and with that you can then have kind of wide players if you need to. And they can come central if mm-hmm. they need
0: to as well, yeah. But
1: you can also have more of a diamond shape, so your 6 can play to your 10, your 10 can play at forward, and now you do have a kind of like direct line of passing yeah. with variability on the sides. So that was
0: the change he made, mm-hmm. right? I think they were maybe 2-0 down at the time, uh, but then Liverpool score a third, but they immediately right. uh, score, a, uh, make it 3-1 mm-hmm. in the 39th minute after Jesse Marsh's change, mm-hmm. right? And then... There's the big halftime team talk, which yeah. became famous.
1: My wife just texted me about it yeah. as we were recording, yeah.
0: And it's essentially Jesse Marsh in, like, mostly German with a bit of English thrown mm-hmm. in, which I always find, like, really enjoyable. Um, I think the key phrase was, like, it's not a friendly. It's a Champions League match. We've only fouled them twice. It's essentially <laughs> mm-hmm. press harder, yep. right? Because what they were doing in the first half, they were doing the, the red Bull pressing game, which kind of, ga- and they were counter attacking vertically and quickly, like you said, kind of guarantees a high-tempo game. But Liverpool are really adept at that, right? And you saw the first couple of goals was a lot of Liverpool just very quickly moving the ball. Essentially, Liverpool's quality was always going to win out Mm -hmm. in a high-tempo game. So if you're going to go high-tempo... You're
1: fighting fire with fire, but the other fire is a volcano. So you've
0: you've also got to be kind of Rough and tough and just physically dominate as well, right? And if you're not committing fouls, you're not not physically dominating. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Does that how volcanoes work? A bigger volcano cancels out a smaller volcano? Definitely. Totally. Yeah, (laughs) that's definitely how volcanoes are all competing. This is where I say that I am a trained geologist. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, so that halftime team talk, I actually think, even though I think Leander Schalakens... I'm not a trained geologist. Leander Schalakens noted it's kind of a marketing exercise from Mm -hmm. Red Bull because that's the impression they want to put across. Yeah. But it seemed kind of effective. Which the maybe, half, the, maybe the tactical change is more effective, though.
1: Well, I, I wanted to ask you about the halftime team talk for a second, because the headline I've seen, but not clicked, uh, because it tended to be from papers I didn't want to click on, was like yeah. Klopp saying, I would be furious. if. Like, like, what, what did you make of that? What was that about?
0: So uh, Klopp was saying, if Liverpool released mm-hmm. footage of my halftime mm-hmm. team talks, I would leave the team.
1: Like but I guess what I'm wondering is like was that like a hyperbolic statement, or do you think he really was like that's a betrayal of locker room trust
0: i think I think it's weird to Klopp mm-hmm. that things that go on inside the private right. locker room are made public, and I yeah. think you' just expressing. His displeasure with that very idea. Man, okay, that makes but more sense. But does to become a thing. And annoying. I
1: wonder, I wonder if that is like a thing that only happens because not necessarily because Jesse Marsh gave an amazing halftime team talk, but because he's American. Because in the United States, it is way more common for media to be in the locker yeah. room, and we hear routinely about how strange that is for foreign yeah. players coming into MLS to have press in the locker room, to even have the coach in the locker I've room.
0: I've got to guess, like, I take Leander's point mm-hmm. that it's very much a marketing exercise from Red Bull to yeah. release that video to celebrate what was ultimately a four-three defeat, but it's to celebrate the comeback. Part, they definitely would have asked Jesse Marsh's permission. Yeah, and Jesse Marsh, I think maybe because he's an American coach, and maybe the locker room isn't as like uh, yeah. it isn't so sacrosanct like mm-hmm. it is. Is that the right word? Sacred, like it is in in Europe. I like it, Jesse Marsh is probably like, yeah, put it out there. Mm-hmm. Let's, and and let's I think let's get it, some retweets. And
1: I think this <laughs> game, despite being a four three loss, despite him getting it wrong in the beginning, is. Like a good one for Jesse Marsh's resume because yeah. he makes this tactical adjustment that pays dividends. They bring it back to 3 3. He has the, the halftime team talk that is passionate. Yeah. But it's also worth noting from everything I have read, they have not played this 4 1 3 2 the entire season. They have oh, played sometimes with the back three. They've played sometimes with the back four. But with that back four, it's usually 4 4 2. It's usually 4 2 2 2. Sometimes it's like a 4 2 3 1. But this kind of system of having like a single number six with a number 10 and sort of a diamond, not a thing they've really yeah. gone for at all this they season. They must
0: have practiced it. There. To be able to switch to it so efficiently yeah. mid game. I also want to highlight two other little changes he made. As part of the rearrangement into the 4 1 3 2, he put Minamino, he moved him like from the rightish position to being essentially the mm-hmm. number 10, right? Yep. And I think your theory was that then when you play vertical, then the number 10 is who yep. it kind of goes through to keep playing verti- vertical. Mm-hmm. And Minamino was so good and lively. I believe he scores the second goal on the volley. Mm-hmm. It's that beautiful volley. He was a really, he's one of those players. Takumi Minamino, kind of hard to pronounce, probably going to be super famous um, in the nearest future. Oh, I so. Then when it gets to 3-2 after that Minamino goal, he brings on Haaland, the young striker. Haaland scores the equaliser within two minutes of coming on the field. So two really good, like almost immediately effective changes mm-hmm. from Jesse Marsh. But then it's 3-3, maybe the adrenaline drops. Things get a little sloppy. And as I pronounced correctly earlier, Jabeslai, makes that mistake, and Liverpool punished them. Yeah. Finishes 4-3 to Liverpool. Yes. So It's actually not that great from Jesse Marsh because he ultimately lost the game, but it was a really good effort that I think brings him some attention.
1: I think a 4-3 loss they would have probably been okay with before the game started. <laughs> it's my guess. Certainly when they were 3-0 down, they would have taken a 4-3 loss. <laughs> I would say so. Um, I also wanted to add uh, it's worth noting that they were missing uh, Andre Romalo, who's a defender who'd started, I believe, every single game for them until this one. Okay. Also leading goal scorer Sekou Keita, I believe, was sick and thus had to miss this game as well, he was on the bench, but I don't believe played. Okay. So missing like one of his most reliable defenders and his leading goal scorer, again, pretty uh, commendable that yeah. they got the result they did.
0: And also, it's worth saying that it's enjoyable when teams go at Liverpool mm-hmm. because Liverpool have the capability to play through it, and it, then it becomes an exciting game, right? Yeah. The, the usual blueprint is kind of everybody sit back and defend and see if they can break us down, yes. right? So to go at Liverpool like mm-hmm. that and nearly pull it off, even though it's ultimately unsuccessful... It's really exciting. Like, Jesse Marsh wouldn't be getting the same attention and Salzburg wouldn't be getting the same attention if they'd gone in a deep, low block and lost Mm 1-0,
1: right?
0: Because it's just less impressive. Yeah, Yeah. of course.
1: Yeah, Yeah. that's what I'm saying. Uh, They probably would have taken it. Jesse
0: Marsh in the Mm -hmm. Champions League. I love it.
1: I'll take it. it. I'll take that, yeah.
0: Okay, speaking of the Champions Mm -hmm. League, trainer. Greg Slater has a question. Uh, Greg asks, during BR Live's post-match Champions League coverage this past Tuesday, I heard Tim Howard, presumably in studio, right? Um, BR Live, um, comment that Gonzalo Higuain's... You don't know
1: where Greg was watching. He could have been watching with Timmy. He, yeah, They're he's best friends. <laughs> They're just on the couch. Knif- Sit on the couch. He chose not to ask him this question, but instead email us about it while sitting next to him. <laughs> Strange choice, Greg. Strange just like choice. Just Colleen
0: Rooney. Really. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Greg's asking about Tim Howard's comment mm-hmm. on BR Live that Higuain's finished for Juventus against Leverkusen it was the first goal in a 3-0 win was quote a striker's finish unquote what does he mean by that what is a striker's finish okay
1: I am not sure if there is, like, an actual definition of a striker's no. finish. Okay. I wasn't sure before I give my interpretation. I mean, you can
0: open the dictionary right now. It's not going to be in there. No,
1: it will not. But uh, there, ha- we have, there have been incidents in the past where I was like, there's no term for this. But here's my explanation. And I would give you my 10-minute explanation. And then Daryl would be like, well, here's the definition from, like, something. And I'd be like, oh, okay, never mind. Um, the way I would put it is essentially. <laughs> Do I
0: well actually use sometimes <laughs> like
1: Every now and then. I think everybody does. I'm very mindful of when I say actually yeah. for that reason. But, yes. <laughs> um, Do you know where I get my water from? From a well, actually? a well, actually? I see what you did. I see what you did there. I anticipated your bad joke. How are you not a father? I don't. How do you have dad jokes and yet you do? Do you have secret kids? Do you have kids somewhere, Daryl? So you've been hiding them for years? <laughs> <laughs> um, a striker's finish, I would say. My kind of understanding of it is the a striker's finish comes from a complete striker, so I always go straight to like Ronaldo or somebody like that original Ronaldo, but uh, the way I can explain it like succinctly is it's an efficient and deadly strike, and in this goal, you kind of see everything that to me makes it this kind of like complete perfect striker's goal in that it's Higuain tracking a loose ball in the air that's kind of he's already battled for so yeah, it's is like, like
0: a long direct ball that like Jonathan Tarr is the to defend that he kind of Gets to it, but yeah. it pops up in the air. So there's a moment of just complete chaos and confusion for everybody. Yeah.
1: But like, and we've seen that, like I, we both experienced that, where you kind of go up for a head and you come down, and you don't know where it is, and you spin yeah. around, and you're not sure. That Igweine tracks it and is aware of where the ball is right there. That's like that predatory vision of a striker and the awareness. Then he brings it down neatly with one touch, uh, and then also sets up his shot at the same motion. So he like brings it down, but sets it up to shoot with his second touch, yeah. which again shows you like the technical c- control, but creativity and awareness that you've got to know exactly how to do that. Then his shot is low, powerful, to one of the corners, and occurs in a very, very short amount of time, everything we're talking about. So just that he does all of that, it's like such minimal movement, and that's not just an Higuain joke. It's just how, like, it's efficiency of movement to score a goal, doing as little as possible, or seeming to do as little as possible, when in actuality you're doing, like, 46 things at once. I
0: would agree with everything you just said, and I would add that it's like... um it's like an instinct, mm-hmm. right? If you yes. look at that, if that was me, who is very much not a striker, I'd be thinking, all right, let's try and bring this ball down and then we'll think about trying to do something with it. Iguain spots that there is an opportunity mm-hmm. here and he pounces. Yeah. Is that like, well, I don't know what the word is, Like just lethal, yeah. vicious, ruthless. Ruthless is yeah. the word. That ruthless instinct to be, like, there's a little bit of space here. I might be outside the box, but there's a little bit of space. There's a shooting opportunity here, and I'm pretty confident I can like, put this in the bottom corner, mm-hmm. and you just take that opportunity fast as you can.
1: Right? You, know, you know when a striker like, has that shot, and it just gets like, pushed wide or just goes barely wide, and you're like, oh, I thought he would score there. Like, that's yeah. because you have a striker like this who does score that goal. So when Robert Lewandowski gets this shooting opportunity, you think Oh, he's going to score that yeah. because he has that like striker's finish that striker's ability and that I think is what we saw from Eagle in this one. The other one that I would say like is helpful in for me, at least, in making sense of it, is if you'll forgive me, the like very basic de- definition of the difference between parkour and free running. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome for this. I didn't know there was a difference. <laughs> yeah, parkour or free running is basically getting from point A to point B in the most creative way possible. Yeah. and I equate that with like a slal- slaloming Lionel Messi dribbling run. That that's like free running? Yeah, that's free running. Parkour is essentially getting from point A to point B in the quickest route possible. It's just usually there's like a building in the way. So did you just so, say
0: the same thing twice?
1: No, because one is the most creative way of you're like showing off all the different things you can do just kind of like going over the table so
0: which one's the most creative way
1: uh free running free running parkour is doing it in the like quickest route yeah so you're just sort of like instead of going around the building you go over the building and here it's just sort of he does all of these things as quickly as possible to put the ball in the net before people can react it's a parkour finish it's a parkour finish a striker's finish is a parkour finish
0: the other possibility mm-hmm. is that Tim Howard was just struggling for something to say awesome and just that. said,
1: oh, that's a striker's finish. Because it's a cliche. Yeah. That's definitely in the, the uh, cliches book, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's
0: definitely in the cliche book. And it may be that Tim Howard's such an experienced psychic so mm-hmm. guy that to him, striker's finish means all the things we just said, and he's just got the shorthand for it, mm-hmm. striker's finish. But to me, it's much better on the broadcast to explain it a little more than just saying it's a striker's finish. Here's how I'm you not can I'm doubting know. Tim Howard's knowledge. Yeah, I'm doubting his... Judgment on how much he needed to explain. Mm-hmm. Also, there's probably an ad break coming.
1: Also, that definitely that. But we haven't seen the clip. And I would say this that, like, if he says, if it goes in and it's kind of a quieter, like, oh, that's a striker's finish. Like, that to me is him saying a thing versus him as a goalkeeper having experienced that. If he was like, oh, that's a striker's finish. Like, that tells you right there he's saying a genuine thing of like, oh, that's such a frustrating goal from a goalkeeper. Like, it's so perfectly hit. That's a striker's finish versus like, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's a and finish commercial. We go to commercial now? <laughs> like, then you know. Then you know. Awesome. <laughs> um,
0: all right, you ready for the final question of wow. the day? Wow, we did it. We did it. We did do it. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean McNamara mm-hmm. asks, who plays the most Champions League minutes this campaign mm-hmm. as a cap-tied American? Yes. So very specific wording. Is it Adams, Tyler Adams, for RB Leipzig? Is it Tim Weyer for Lille? Is it Christian Pulisic for Chelsea, or is it Serginho Dest mm-hmm. for Ajax, or is the total zero?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, the total will not be zero. Why not? I feel confident that oh, okay. somebody yeah. will play. Somebody will play somewhere. Somebody will play yes. a minute
0: somewhere. Um, and Dest has played 90 for Ajax against Valencia. But not as a cap-tied American. I like right. that Sean is very specific mm-hmm. in his wording.
1: Um, and I that he does seem to be the obvious answer. The question is just, is he going to be a cap-tied American? Yeah. And I really don't feel comfortable
0: speculating or guessing. So do we both agree that if he becomes a cap-tied American yeah. at some point in the next few months, Seginho Dest will play the most minutes out of Adam's way of Pulisic Dest? Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. And and the reason why...
0: Banking, we're banking a lot on Masraoui not getting back in the team. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, he feels the right bet right mm-hmm. now.
1: Yeah, and, and I would say, like, w- yes, we, I would agree with that for the same reason that my answer, excluding Dest, is Tyler Adams. And I think it's because I got, I got the same. despite injuries and other players have come into form uh, for Leipzig, this is why I was going to be confused and why I switched to Salzburg as opposed to Red Bull oh, earlier, yeah, um, is because despite injury, one full game for him like rockets him up the charts. Whereas with Timothy Weyer coming back from injury with Christian Pulisic in the role he's been playing for Chelsea. And Weah
0: wasn't necessarily no. in the Lille first team. Right? Yeah.
1: So with like, with like Pulisic especially, uh, Chelsea played two Champions League games so far. He's been on the bench for one, not of the squad for the other. So if he continues those 10 to 15 minute cameos, say he makes five or six oh, of them what you're saying, yeah. but then Tyler Adams starts one game yeah. <laughs> automatically he's going to be at like 85 yep. minutes so
0: it's really fitness unless the Adams injury mm-hmm. is worse than we thought and he's just constantly out and out and out and out there's still five Champions League game group stage games to go and it goes like four we mm-hmm. already gone through two yep. oh dear, oh, dear. Oh, <laughs> the math is getting tighter but still I would put money on maybe Tyler Adams yeah. being fit enough to play at least one 90 minute set and then maybe a couple of thirty minutes, mm-hmm. and already he's ahead of everybody, right? Yeah. yeah. So
1: I think Dust, if he's cap tied. Uh, oh, and, the, and and the other reason for that is because right now Leipzig, uh, similar to Ajax, and I would say Chelsea, maybe, but like like are likely to go deeper in the tournament than Lille, as an example. So yes. Lille maybe have the group stage games. Maybe they make it out of the group, but more than likely they don't if past is precedent. Mm -hmm. Whereas we could see Ajax make a deep run. We could see Leipzig, again, with their current form and the way they've been in the Bundesliga, make a deep run. Maybe Chelsea, that seems less likely, and that's another reason why I don't think...
0: it's just tough to see Pulisic yeah. get in a starting spot like really, really regularly, right. anytime super soon.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. So I think Chelsea may be potentially not making it out of the group stage. or not making a very deep run combined with Pulisic only getting kind of cameo minutes so far. I think he'll get some minutes, which is why I didn't say zero. But I don't think he'll get nearly as many as Tyler Adams if he recovers in time.
0: So we're saying Dest if he becomes captied. Ooh,
1: so many caveats and like, caveats and like yeah, coulds and we, shoulds and I'm maybe impossible.
0: We've actually answered the question, but we're saying Dest if he becomes tied mm-hmm. And if not, then Adams? Yes. Is that an acceptable answer, or are we kind of dodging the core of the question? Like, is mm. Sean asking us to choose?
1: No, I mean, we've answered Dest. It's just, I don't know if he's going to be a cap yeah. American, and I feel really uncomfortable talking about it.
0: I'm going to say Dest. Okay. Which is essentially me saying he's going to choose America. Right. That's my very optimistic answer.
1: So I'm assuming between now and when that would happen, there's probably one more game. There's probably one more round of Champions League games, at least, yeah. I'd say. So maybe he'll have three games at most three more group stage games Dest will as a captied American I still think he probably plays one of those he's already at 90 Well,
0: with the 90 retroactive the 90 against Valencia retroactively count
1: no because he wasn't captied because he wasn't captied mm-hmm. at the time Oh, now I'm making rules baby okay
0: if you're making a rule I'm going to say Tyler Adams
1: <laughs> okay yeah
0: also because Rao is coming back mm-hmm. so there's a chance Dest uh, loses his starting spot alright all right, I'm all in on Tyler Adams alright yeah. That's, that's Tyler fine. Adams mm-hmm. currently zero minutes We, I mean he's He's coming back soon, right? Yes. I haven't heard anything that says he's uh, had a recurrence of the injury or anything like that.
1: All right. Knocking oh. on wood.
0: <laughs> All right. We answered a lot of questions. We did. If you would like to ask us a question, com slash questions. com slash questions is the URL. There's a form you can fill out. We get the question. If we like it, we answer it. We do. Um, you can also support Total Soccer Show financially. Help us keep on going. If you go to com slash join... If you subscribe at $10 a month or more, we guarantee to answer one of your questions per month. So TotalSoccerShow.com slash join, $10 a month or more, we guarantee to answer a question a month on the show.
1: And just a quick question of clarification. What happens if you subscribe at any level?
0: If you subscribe at any level, Mm -hmm. then you join the Total Soccer Show Scouting Network, and we give Mm. you a talented young player. To keep your eye on
1: that is correct, and oh, we have look at
0: this in front of me. What? How
1: did that happen? Uh, we have several scouting reports to get to. We still have uh, more in the queue. Uh, we'll catch up on those this week. Uh, but for right now, we've got several reports. A lot of young Americans, some non-Americans, doing things. We'll start with Josh Dollar scouting Blake Bodley, the 21-year-old American midfielder for the University of Washington. Blake has been a rock for the number seven-ranked U this year mm. and has the production to prove it. On top of his four goals and four assists, he was named College Soccer News. National Player of the Week on October 7th for providing the assist for the golden goal win against number 2 Stanford and then for grabbing the only goal in a win over Cal.
0: I learned most of my college soccer news from the scattering foot. I learned, yes. <laughs> I was going to say all but no, nah, it's not quite all. Joseph Meadows is scouting Azrael Gonzalez, the 18-year-old American midfielder for the Tacoma Defiance, mm-hmm. that's Seattle's uh, USL team. Joseph it's weird says, because
1: I heard from Jurgen Klinsman that all 18-year-olds are playing college soccer, <laughs> so I'm not sure what to make of that.
0: There must be some mistake. Weird. Joseph says, Azrael Gonzalez had a difficult season for Tacoma. He missed three months with a broken foot, but returned to action in September, made several appearances for the Defiance. He will likely be a central part of Tacoma's plans for next season, which would push him closer to the 100-game mark that Seattle front office uses. As a measuring stick to see who is ready for first-team looks. I mm-hmm. didn't know that.
1: Nor did I. That's why we like the scouting is network. He's done a lot of games. He <laughs> really is. He's on 45 right now, I, I believe, Joseph uh, included in his report. 100 mm-hmm.
0: games does that maybe include Development Academy games that as well otherwise could you could be like hey you got to spend four years in USL before." <laughs> I mean maybe if Mim- you
1: start as a 15 year old
0: maybe Clinton's moments right
1: Todd Brennan scouting Cameron Carter Vickers a 21 year old American defender on loan at Stoke from Tottenham and once again not playing in college 21 year old I don't know what to make of this after starting in a 1-0 loss to fellow relegation strugglers Huddersfield I'm starting to see a pattern maybe he should be playing college CCV went the distance first in Stoke's surprising 2-1 victory over formerly top of the table Swansea it was the fifth straight start in League play for Carter Vickers after initially struggling for playing time since his loan move. Uh, While CCV seems to have earned the trust of manager Nathan Jones, there is still much speculation surrounding uh, Nathan Jones' tenure as manager. There were reports last week that Stoke were turned down by Chris Hewton, so it'll be interesting to see if Stoke uh, look to make changes during the international break, and if they do, what that will mean for CCV long-term.
0: So further proof that Chris Hewton's a smart man. Yes. (laughs) Not taking that job. (laughs) Russell Varna is scouting Alex (laughs) Mendez, the 18-year-old American midfield. uh, for young Ajax. Mm -hmm. Russell says... Mendes is integrating himself into the young Ajax lineup, having appeared in seven of the club's nine games, mostly from the bench. He was also called into Jason Kreiss' 25-man U23 camp. They play El Salvador on October 15th, but the match will apparently not be broadcast, so Russell plans to imagine Mendes netting a hat-trick.
1: It's a safe, safe way to go. we
0: we'll get a scouting report of ima- the imaginary <laughs> Mendes hat-trick.
1: I hope not. <laughs> I would love to say I hope so, that I thought about it realistically. No, I don't want that. Ben Sundstrom. Scouting Joshua Pinedath. Too mean?
0: correct no, it, it was the correct
1: result. <laughs> joshua pinadath the 17 year old indian american winger for ajax joshua received his first young ajax minutes on september 16th in a 2-0 win against young psv he subbed on in the 18th minute due to a teammate's injury uh played against fellow youth national teamers richie ledesma and chris Gloucester. since then he has started making substitute appearances uh early in matches generally appearing as a right winger and as i said earlier remained eligible for both the u.s and for india
0: all oh, right. And uh,
1: I, I'm assuming for the Netherlands as well, given that he's 17.
0: I'm not sure. Eh? I'm not sure if he's got any Dutch citizenship. Which is he? I also, I saw, I think I saw on Twitter this morning that Pinedath played for Ajax's first team. hmm. In like an international break friendly um, against Heronveen interesting you know how like interesting. Uh, Pulisic was doing that back mm-hmm. in the day for Dortmund um, Jeff Markman is scouting Reese Nelson you have a question no I was
1: just going to say I forget how long some of these people have been around that like Pin up feels like we've been talking about for a super long time and I was really disappointed not to see in the U23s and like oh maybe his development has stagnated a little bit of the U20s then I rest he's 17 <laughs> <laughs>
0: Jeff Markman is getting Reese Nelson, the 19-year-old English attacker for Arsenal. Jeff says Nelson grabbed his first senior goal and added an assist in the Gunners' 5-0 win in the Carabao Cup against Nottingham Forest. Followed that up with a start and an assist in a 4-0 victory over Standard Liège in Europa League group play. He then suffered a knee injury that mm-hmm. will keep him out of the squad for two to three weeks and forced him to withdraw from the England Under-21 squad. Selfish.
1: Selfish knees. Uh, Elijah Chappell scouting Joe Willick, 19-year-old English midfielder for Arsenal. Can I just say the Arsenal? If you want. Just to make people mad. <laughs> the Arsenal Gunners. <laughs> The Arsenal cannons. Bang. Bang, 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 cannon. Joe started in a central attacking midfield role in Arsenal's 3 0 win over Eintracht Frankfurt. This is what happens when we go past the hour mark. <laughs> he also scored the opener when he curled it a deflected shot into the far corner of the goal during the Arsenal counterattack. During an Arsenal counterattack. He no, doing
0: and the Arsenal counterattack.
1: And the Arsenal counterattack. Bang, bang, bang. Joe scored his third goal of the season during Arsenal's Europa League match against Standard Liege. A lot of scoring against Standard Liege happening. Willick picked up a rebound and placed it into the far corner to put Arsenal up 3 On the 22nd minute. Joe recently signed a new long-term contract at Arsenal, so fans do not need to worry about him going all Serge Gnabry on us.
0: (laughs) Jonathan Feller is scouting Moses Nyman, the very talented 15-year-old American midfielder for DC United. Jonathan says, DC has signed Moses Nyman to a homegrown contract. At 15, Nyman becomes the second youngest player to ever sign with DC United. I think Quaranto was maybe the, or Bobby Convey. I don't oh my know. goodness, Daryl. Um, Jonathan isn't sure who the youngest was, but it's certain that he had a vibrant career and wasn't a letdown in any way. I've just realized it's Freddie. There it, it is. <laughs> 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 I,
1: I thought you were joking for a minute. Um, all right. I'm just going to let Daryl sit in that one for a moment. Kaz Tidrick scouting Robbie Mertz. It, it really is, it's one of those Wikipedia game things where if you're like, if you get a name in your head right away, it's really difficult to yeah. get it out of there, even if it's like, this young Nigerian player. And I'm like, Santino Coranta. <laughs> like, it's really tough. Kaz Tidrick scouting Robbie Mertz, the 22-year-old American midfielder for the Pittsburgh River Hounds. After notching an assist on a corner against Memphis earlier in September, Robbie went the full 90 in the Hounds' 2-1 victory at Loudoun United. Robbie looked solid in a slightly less attacking role, uh, but did pick up a yellow card that caused him to miss Saturday's home finale uh, versus Atlanta United 2. Uh, as a result of yellow card accumulation, I believe they have at least one game, maybe two more games, still to play in the regular season Then we'll see what happens.
0: Guy Mm Yedwab is scouting the aforementioned Serge Gnabry, 23-year-old German wide forward for Bayern Munich, who's not good enough for Tony Poulis. Arsenal fans, I'm going to say this. Pretty good. Pretty good. Guy Yedrab says, says Gnabry scored over half the goals in Bayern Munich 7-2 win over Spurs in Champions League play the first was a solo run that blew past Serge Aurier and wrong-footed Toby Alderweireld his second came two minutes later his third came in the 82nd minute when he exploited Aurier trying to set an offside trap in his own half and again outpaced Alderweireld to burst through on goal finally in the 87th minute he ran into a pocket of space had time to clinch the seventh and final goal mm-hmm. on his way out the door he tweeted North London and is red because once a gunner, always a the gunner.
1: That's like that's so many burns on Tottenham. I don't really know what to make of that one from Serge Gnabry. <sighs> I saw if you will forgive me, like I don't know if this is weird, so I want to give you all the time. That's fast. That's, that's fair. That's fair. I don't, know, I don't know if this is strange, but to me it bothered me that when uh, Spurs lost 3 0 this past weekend, the up. commentator at the end of it said something like, and this is a Spurs team that have now conceded 10 goals in the last two games. And I guess for some reason I was like, well, yeah, like they conceded seven. <laughs> like like that's not, like it's not as though you, like, they haven't conceded 21 goals in three games. Like it's like, yeah, when you concede seven and if you concede one the next game, yeah, yeah. it's still technically correct when you're like eight goals against in the last two it games. It could have
0: been no <laughs> nil against Brighton in the <laughs> exactly. They conceded seven goals in their last two games. That's what
1: I'm saying. It's just such a weird statistic to go for. It's like, you know how this is misleading. I understand it helps you build a narrative, They're just but trying still. to fill the air. There, fill we the air. there we go. There we go. Strikers finish. <laughs> Philip Andriani scouting Andre Gein. Green, 21-year-old winger on loan at Preston North End from Aston Villa. Green didn't feature once for Preston in four September matches in cup or league play. Did he featured ten times?
0: <laughs> no. It was Not. less than once. Well, well, well. So
1: far this season, he started twice in the League Cup and has had three championship appearances from the bench for a total of fewer than 90 minutes. Nice. Thank
0: you. Richie Garcia is scouting Emerson Heinemann, 23-year-old American midfielder on loan at Atlanta. Mm-hmm. On loan at Atlanta from Bournemouth. I got there. Hyman has been a consistent starter for Atlanta, says Richie, <laughs> due partially to the quality of his performances and partially to the injury to Ezekiel Barco. He got the game winner against San Jose in late September, played as the left attacker in Atlanta's 3-4-2-1 formation. Barco returned to the lineup on the final day of the regular season. In this house, we call it Decision Day. <laughs> but Heineman still got the start, this time as a central mid in a 3-1-4-2.
1: If the mythological figure Atlas were on loan at Atlanta from Atalanta, would that be the most confusing sentence you could come up with right there? I feel like it's up there.
0: Yeah, especially if they ended up in some sort of group stage with the team Atlas from Mexico. There we
1: go. (laughs) Now we're extending it. I like this. Hold on, Madrid.
0: There we go, see? This needs to be a group. I like this plan. And if we did it, old Americans thought it would be Atlanta at Atalanta. No way. It
1: is definitely a mark that we've passed the hour mark. It sure is. <laughs> this seems to happen near the end of scouting reports for whatever reason.
0: So once again, to support the show and join the scouting network, it's com slash join. I've been promising for like three weeks or so that I will update and make new scouting assignments. There are people who've emailed and said, hey, I'm waiting for my scouting assignment. There was definitely a thing where I was in hospital for a whole week Mm -hmm. um, which uh, set me back. I just want to apologize for not getting to that sooner and to promise that I will make scouting assignments this week. So if you've sent me an email recently, you will get your player this week. Um, If you email, uh, even in the next couple of days, daryl at totalsockshow.com, D-A-R-Y-L, only one L, at totalsockshow.com, tell me you're waiting for a player if you've already joined the Scouting Network. I will get it to you this week. I promise, promise, promise. Three promises in a row. That makes it happen.
1: And since Sarah was promising things to listeners, but not me, I was instead focused on, but if we're incorporating mythology, then I want it to be Atlanta, At-Atlanta, but then Atlanta playing Atlas in Atlantis.
0: (laughs) (laughs) you got to find it first. (laughs) You've got an away game in Atlantis.
1: I mean... I, I'm assuming either they've surfaced and you're playing yeah. like around the ocean or you're going underground, in which case you've got to get some scuba tanks.
0: Imagine getting your schedule and your first two games were away to Atlantis and away to El Dorado.
1: you playing the NASL.
0: <laughs> On that note, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening. Today is Wednesday. We'll be back tomorrow with our USA versus Cuba CONCACAF Nations League preview we hope you'll join us and we'll talk to you soon